We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. It is The Score. It's one minute after 9 a.m. on a Saturday. That means inside the clubhouse, as it has always been. It is Bruce Levine, and as it has been me for three of the last four weeks, Matt Spiegel, I'm uh, I'm on fire in terms of the regularity of my appearances now. Bruce. Yeah, we expect you to show up every week. We take attendance, you know. Well, so I'm in, man. This is two in a row. It's a good sign. When I miss, I'm I'm usually in one week vacation or in the hospital, one or the other. So uh, this is, as Matt said, inside the clubhouse. We're here with you 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball, Chicago style, Cubs, White Sox, all 28 other teams. Uh, right now, LCS for the National and American League. We'll have guests on today for both. Uh, Joe Castiglione of the Red Sox, Bill Schroeder, the Brewers uh, broadcast teams to join us today. But you are the king on this show, and you can Thank reach you, us. Bruce. You, You as well. Oh, oh you well. mean the listeners. My yes. bad. Yes. 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 670-11 and what he doesn't read of yours, he'll make up on his own. Uh, two weeks ago on September 29th, I tweeted, I don't know if the Brewers will ever lose again. Obviously tongue-in-cheek a little bit because it's baseball, but man, they had that glow. They continue to have that glow. They have not lost since then, and they hold on last night. It's, uh, I-, I wonder if Cub fans are-, are rooting for the Brewers or rooting for the Dodgers as they watch this, but man, the Brewers are quite a fun and interesting team these days. You know what? I, I don't root for teams because I, I can't. I always hope for the best outcome for Chicago teams. I mean, you, you just do that because um, you live here, you want them to do well. On a daily basis, I can't root for either one. I just root for the good story. Mm-hmm. But I am personally rooting for the Milwaukee people, uh, the Milwaukee organization, not necessarily the team itself, but the, the reality is is that uh, Milwaukee baseball has had uh, a professional team there uh, straight through since 1970. Before that, they had the Milwaukee Braves from 1953 until through 1965. But after the, Boston and before Atlanta for exactly, the Braves. Exactly, but but since 1970, they have not won a World Series. Okay, they've only been to one. They've only been in the playoffs five times. Uh, I'm rooting for them to win uh, because I think it's, you know, they're 90 miles away. I think, unlike Cole Hamels believes, I think there is a very good rivalry now between the Brewers and the Cubs. Uh, Nothing said it more than what happened this year. For sure. Game 163 and uh, and all that it represented. And I, I had written at the time, Bruce, that like, these Brewers are to the 2018 Cubs what the 2015 Cubs were to the Cardinals. It is not a perfect analogy, but here come the Brewers, and they've now overtaken the Cubs. Uh, I thought Fox did a nice job last night with a little pregame package, kind of trying to. I think they played roll roll out the barrel, and they, you know, showed showed you know Bernie Brewer and had everybody talking and stuff like that, trying to sell that Midwestern hard scrabble town. 
And, uh, and, and the Brewers, they held on despite Jeremy Jeffress almost blowing it with their bullpenning style. 312-644-6767, our number for Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here for you every week, every Saturday throughout the year. By the way, Matt, Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your fall destination for the best restaurant, deli, and bakery experience in Chicagoland. It's time to enjoy the best homemade soups, chicken noodle, matzo ball, Matt's favorite, kreplach, sweet and sour cabbage, a vegetarian special soup every day, dinners from four to nine, seven days a week, chicken, breast of chicken, the freshest whitefish, and salmon. Each night, MaxandBennies.com, the best bakery with the freshest bagels, bialis, breads, sugar cookies to die for, all a part of the great experience at Max and Benny's. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Matt, love you some MaxandBennies.com in Northbrook. Pro tip, uh, get the sweet and sour cabbage soup and then put the kreplach in oh, that. Oh, man, you're killing me. Right? Yeah. Now, now we're talking. Uh, it is This hour of Inside the Clubhouse is brought to you by, by Mankari Chrysler, Jeep Dodge Ram on 95th Street in Oakland. You mentioned the guests we'll have in the playoffs, and we've got a couple um, White Sox thoughts to get in here as well over our next couple hours. But, um, but Chili Davis fired officially. Uh, were you surprised or not, Bruce? And um, is Chile responsible for the broken offense or not? I think yes uh, to the to the last part. Maybe uh, that uh, the Cubs. I I still believe. You know, a week ago Thursday, Epstein had his press conference, mm-hmm. and he, he he gave a very strong opinion that the hitting function just wasn't there and that uh, what they tried to strive for didn't happen. And he did not give a vote of confidence to Chili Davis, even though he said he worked his butt off. Uh, obviously, he came up with the eventual answer that all that hard work was not the way they wanted the approach to go. In other words, they moved away from launch angle and what was the first thing he said in that press conference? Launch angle's not a fad. One of the first things he said, the offense being broken. But, yeah, they, they kind of gave Joe what he wanted a little bit in Chile as a hire. Right. You think that's true? I think so, but um, you have to assume your own responsibility for that. I mean, if you don't think it's the right thing, if you think that a guy's coming in and teaching anti-launch angle and the line drive approach from field to field, the two-strike approach – the choke up on two strike approach, situational if, hitting. They if, kept if talking about. If you think it's it. wrong, you don't accept it. Mm-hmm. So there is the responsibility by Epstein and Hoyer and the front office that, all right, we uh, we we went this way, but I don't like where it went. And here's where it went, Matt. Yep. 2017, 822 runs. 2018, six hundred seven hundred sixty one down, sixty one home runs. The Cubs were second in baseball in 2017 with 223, National League rather, 167 this year, 56 down. RBIs, minus 63. Uh, Bases on balls, minus 46. The only uh, on base percentage down 5 percentage points, slugging down 27 percentage points. The only area that they increased was in batting average. Hmm which is something that modern front offices don't really care much about. Mm-hmm. It was 258 
to lead the league, which is the highest batting average the Cubs have had as a team since 2008. But in this era of slug and OPS, it really doesn't mean anything to them. Okay? So all these numbers indicate to Epstein and Hoyer and everybody in the front office that uh, this one-year experiment of uh, the line drive approach, uh, moving the ball around the way Joe likes to call it, um, isn't where they want to go in the future. Top texture with a very apropos question that you and I were talking about before the show. How much of those numbers is due to getting very, very little from Chris Bryant after the first think, 38 games of the season? I think a lot. Yep. I think you're down. He hit, he hit thir- 13 home runs, okay? His average is 30, okay? So you're down 17 home runs. His RBI, you know, last year wasn't good. I mean, he hit... I think he had 77 RBIs in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, partially a product of hitting high in the order. But he, I think he batted 219 with men in scoring position. In right, and that, that was part of the whole change from Maley to Chile is to be better with men right. in scoring position. So, um, but, but the impact, and you and I talked about this when you came in this morning, the impact of not having to face Bryant as a threat in that lineup and pitch to him because – even at his very worst, when he's not being performing at his top level, he sees a lot of pitches. He takes his walks. He gives you a professional at bat. Uh, not not having that in there for seventy games, I think, were, was very impactful in the lineup. And uh, I think that it can't be. You can't say that Davis had his full arsenal of hitters there for his impact on what he wanted to teach. My only question, Matt, about this, I don't question them firing Davis. I don't question them having three hitting coaches in three years because now uh, I think it's a combination of nine hitting coaches, including assistants, that Theo has had in the time he's been here. Oof. Okay, I don't question that. I, I, I don't really have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is are these players coming up finished products? No. See, that's why I do have a problem with what you just said. The three and three years. The total of nine, including assistance under Epstein, whether it's Andy Haynes or, or, or some of these other guys, because... No, they're not coming up as finished product. And they've said as much, Jed and Theo have said as much, that some of these young players need to continue their education and their maturation at the big league level. And Javier Baez has done so under the tutelage of largely Joe Madden, I think, right? Madden and Baez have worked very closely together. I guess, but you can't even even throw Baez into the mix of all these important stats that they look at. Well, Because the on-base percentage... Is not ever going to be there. No, that's not. That's not going to be there it's for. It's not going to be there for. Bias. But all these, all these young guys. I mean, as they came through the system, the consistency of the approach and the teaching, and the you know following the manual of the Cubs way, you can do that from level to level and make sure everybody's on the same page. But then once they get here, and young hitters are being asked to take the next steps in their development, uh, we're at a moment right now where you've just admitted it's not going well, and you're going to throw another voice at them. It reminds me a little bit of. You know, when the quarterback has five different offensive coordinators in his first five years in the NFL. It's not we, quite the same, but of course, it's a little bit. I was on with, uh, with, with Bernstein and McKnight yesterday, our fine midday show. And Dan came up with the premise, well, maybe the organizational 
batting instructor should just be the same thing uh, at the major league level. In other words, you should have maybe just roving guys coming in and out like mm-hmm. they do in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and that uh, the philosophies and the and the the main hitting coach doesn't really have to be there every day. Uh, that you have you have other people that are watching it. You have a manager. You have other coaches. Uh, Joe Madden is a an experienced hitting coach from his past. Theo Epstein, uh, throughout his career, has made a specialty out of analyzing hitting himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an analytics department that gives you information every day to uh, throw the way of players. Well, maybe to your point, how about Andy Haynes, who's the assistant hitting coach and has been there next to Chile, but also last year was in the minors, got a lot of credit for the work he did with Kyle Schwarber when Schwarber went down to AAA. So maybe just elevating Haynes and, and continuing the organizational approach is is the most sensible and Fine. easiest thing to Fine. do. What I'm saying is maybe more hands-on than less, okay? Mm-hmm. In this era of analytics, you know, maybe maybe you can have more people involved to get your message across. Maybe the manager has to help get that message across. But what I'm saying, as far as the players go, this is a different era of baseball when it comes to products at the major league level. And the fact that you look at a Schwarber, you look at a Hap, you look at a Contreras, and they have seasons where they back up. Well, that's happened throughout the history of baseball. But a lot of times... Guys have had to go back to the minor leagues, and Schwarber did last year for three weeks, and it helped. He came back, and he he hit better. He had a better season this year, although the numbers were pretty much equal other than batting average and on-base percentage. So um, I I just think that sometimes at this level now, people are losing track of the fact that these guys are not finished products when they come up here. And they used to be more finished products – Back in the day, maybe eight or ten years ago, but now in in this era, you're you're seeing guys that need more and more help at the major league level, and there is not too many people to replace them when they do come up. This hour of Inside the Clubhouse is being brought to you by a Mankari Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram on 95th Street in Oak Lawn. Um, I think Joe wants them all to be Anthony Rizzo, where they're looking for their their pitch. They're ready to swing away and hammer a ball and elevate it and try to drive it the hell out of the park. But as soon as there's two strikes or earlier, if the situation merits it, they've got a really good B hack. They choke up. They look for contact. They look to spray the ball the other way. I think that's Joe's dream is that everybody is both of those things in one the way Rizzo is. And and maybe that's just not realistic. Yeah, that's exactly right, I think. And, And a more realistic approach is Ben Zobrist. Okay, who doesn't have the power or who actually sacrificed power to buy in more to what Davis Mm -hmm. and what Joe wanted this year. And he had a tremendous season for who he is. I mean, is anybody going to deny that he had great at bats, that he knew how new situation hitting up, laying a bunt down, but he doesn't have slug. He doesn't. He is not going to drive in a ton of runs. He drove in his share, right? But my point is, is that consistent, difficult at bats, making things hard right, for the right. opposing pitcher. But Epstein and Hoyer don't want a team full of Zobris, but they would like two or three guys like Zobris to set the uh, set the tone and and set up 
you know, the RBI guys behind him, the slug guys. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I like I like the idea that Epstein is upset. I like the <laughs> I like the uh, I I do I very much like the idea that he is so much like Vince Lombardi. He is so much like George Steinbrenner. He's so much like um, all the great leaders of franchises in sports. And that is, we don't care that we won 95 games. We don't care that we were a wild card or that we've been to the playoffs four years in a row. Got to fix it. All we care about is winning a World Series. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, if I'm analyzing it correctly, and that's only my opinion, Matt, I believe that he's the type of leader you still want to have running an organization because he doesn't take just being good enough for his team and his franchise. Before we take a break, Bruce, I want to point out real quick an opportunity here for the White Sox. If you are looking to do something in one of your years of rebuild um, to try and and gain yourself some more kids – Obviously, you can try to trade for a pitcher and then flip him, right? Or it's sometimes you sign and flip. They try to do it with Derek Holland. The Cubs did it with Paul Mahalam and Scott Feldman. The White Sox have done it with relievers like Joachim Soria. What do White Sox fans think of Sonny Gray, who is done in New York? The Brian Cashman quotes yesterday about Sonny Gray are just amazing. Very rarely do you hear stuff like this. I think it's probably best to try this somewhere else, said the GM Brian Cashman about Sonny Gray. This environment can bring out the best in certain individuals. It can bring out, obviously, the worst in certain individuals. It's a unique environment. Someone, if they trade for Sonny Gray, is going to get the player that we wanted. That's what Cashman said. There's one more year left on the deal. Would you, if you're Rick Hahn and the White Sox, look to try and trade a little something-something for Sonny Gray, let him be in your rotation next year, hopefully rehabilitate him, and then trade him at the deadline for Something. Matt, I, I believe that's the type of of, uh, of uh, arm that they want to bring in. I think they want to bring in a veteran guy, uh, have uh, somebody help lead the rotation along with Rodon. Now that the younger guys have a little bit more under their belt, you're going to see Dunning and you're going to see Cease coming up to that team sometime next year. Um, they need a few more veterans in that rotation to go along with Rodon, who – I'm worried that he's hurt, uh, by the way, he pitched at the end of the year. Uh-oh. He was one of the top pitchers in the game uh, for for the games when he came back this year, and he he didn't look anything like that pitcher at the end. 312-644-6767 is the number for Inside the Clubhouse. And uh, Matt, Ron, Tom, Joe, you're up next as soon as we come back from the break. More baseball talk, Cubs, Sox, everything on Inside the Clubhouse. And we'll check in with both the Red Sox and the Brewers on the ALCS and the NLCS. Keep it here on 670 The Score. It is Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. We'll check in on Astros, Red Sox in a little bit. But first, Bruce Levine, let's talk to our listeners. Matt is in River North and has dialed the number and is on the show. What do you say, Matt? Welcome in. Good morning, fellas. Bruce, I got a question and then a point to make. My question is, I think, well... I would love to see the Cubs get Bryce Harper. I think they need him. Um, and also, I think with, when you talk about like Schwarber, my thing is when he gets up with men on base, I want him to swing and drive in the runs. He's too selective to me. You know, when he was good and in the World Series, he was jumping on that first pitch, and he's not doing that anymore. Another thing, my, my point is, 
The last two of the last three teams that won the World Series struck out the least in baseball, the Astros and the Royals. You know, it, it, to me, it comes down to situational hitting. And I think Rizzo has the right approach. I don't know why other guys can't take that approach. Um, and the last point I got is, Johan Moncada, I heard you guys talking about him. You've talked to scouts who like him. Have you talked to scouts who don't like him? Because I could give you a few who don't think he's very good. They think he's a head case. Um, he's poor in the field. I haven't, I haven't heard head case about him. I, I've heard others? attention deficit syndrome. Hmm. Yes, indeed. They feel that there is uh, you know, something similar to what Starlin Castro had, where you, know, you just kind of fade when you're in the field sometimes. You don't have the attention. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, not that you're not in the moment, but you're, you know, it's, you know, it's something that may be c- controlled by something else, you know, like, uh, you know, if you're ADD. Mm-hmm. So uh, from, Interesting. from that perspective, yes, I've heard that. Um, I've also heard and pretty much reassured at some point he's going to be the third baseman, not the second baseman. So that's more of a reaction, quick reaction move rather than, uh, all the other responsibilities at second base. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that builds out. To his uh, to his other points, uh, Schwarber as a situational hitter been bad. Absolutely, Schwarber takes a lot of pitches. Schwarber tries to work the walk. Um, will often strike out. His the, that contact approach, that B hack, has just not materialized for Schwarber at all. Remember last week you 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 said when I said that the walk can be overrated, and you kind of took exception. I think in the situations with him and Hap. I believe that walks for them sometimes are overrated because of the fact that they're working deep counts and it's like, hey, yeah, this is what we want. But when if Hep gets a pitch two one, that's the pitch of the um, of that sequence that he should be driving, and he takes it for a ball for a strike. Uh, is that really having a good at bat if he continues to walk in that at bat? That, that's furthering your point about. What, what you said about Schwarber. Yeah. In other words, a walk in those situations, you are passing the baton to the next guy, but you are the man in that situation. You are the guy with the potential of the slug to be able to drive the ball out of the park. I think the walk is almost never an unacceptable outcome. So I will still push against against you there. I would have to give you the exact situation for you to be able to maybe agree with me. You know, you look at Frank Thomas's career, for well, example. Well, you, when you're talking about the truly elites who battled it, whether it was Frank right. or Ted Williams, which were the two names I gave you last week, that's not that's not Schwarber. Right. I it's mean, not. That, that, no. those are, that, that's not. But, but it's all, all the reason more why you have to learn how to attack that one or two pitches that you get in a, in a bat rather than passing the baton or you walk. Okay, great. Schwarber walks. Schwarber walks, right? Mm-hmm. Hap walks. I think they were first and third on the team in walks. What else do they do? They uh, strike out a lot. We, well, you need those guys. They strike out a lot. Yes, they do. Yeah, yes, I think they, they were. I think they were uh, first and second in strikeouts on the team. So that combination of right. uh, of that, yeah. you know, you're, you're to, talking about that approach to, to as be opposed further to analyzed. But again, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not in agreement that a walk for these type of hitters is always the avenue that they want to go. Uh, Bruce, for just the third time uh, in the history of postseason baseball, 
We get two teams who have won at least 103 games matching up in a series. It's the Astros and the Red Sox beginning tonight. Verlander and Chris Sale. That's pretty remarkable. And uh, pleased to have Joe Castiglione, the longtime broadcaster for the Boston Red Sox, uh, joining us right now on 670 The Score. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Good morning. Well, we're excited about the this big ALCS and two heavyweights going toe-to-toe. Yeah, two serious juggernauts, uh, Joe. And I, I don't know what the Astros' weakness is. Been looking for it for a little while, kind of having some trouble finding it. Uh, for the Red Sox, it has been that bullpen ahead of Craig Kimbrell. I wonder, I wonder if tonight um, that Alex Cora might lean on Chris Sale to go a little further than he asked him to go in game one of the series against the Yankees, which I believe was five and a third. Well, that's likely, I would say, uh, given uh, the situation. But the bullpen actually has acquitted itself pretty well so far against the Yankees. Uh, actually, Kimbrough had uh, some difficulties closing down game four, but he got it done. And three scoreless innings before that, and Alex has used the starting pitcher to help in that uh, regard. And it's worked. Sale in game four, Porcello in game one, and we might see more of that. Joe, uh, when you look at uh, the Red Sox and you talk about the most important player, everybody certainly points to Betts as the uh, odds-on MVP candidate. But uh, I just I can't get around the fact of what Martinez did for that offense and how batting further down from the order it just impacts everybody else. Can you talk about when you look at a team like you do 162 times a year, how you would determine – what an MVP is uh, on that given season between a, a Betts and a Martinez? Well, the Red Sox don't win if Betts isn't in the lineup or isn't producing. It's that simple. And J.D. Martinez, who was the missing link from the last uh, couple of seasons after David Ortiz retired. So it's really apples and oranges in many regards. Uh, I'd hate to have to separate my MVP vote uh, with either one of them, but uh, – I mean, they had such different dimensions to the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have the home run RBI guy last year that uh, J.D. has provided. He provides a lot of intangibles, always talking, hitting with Mookie and all the other teammates. Uh, the focus has been tremendous. And Mookie's such a team leader, that, uh, and he's a 30-30 guy, a batting champ. It's very hard to say who's more valuable. You know, Mookie was, was a guy that, you know, you ask Theo Epstein, and he will say of all the guys they ever scouted, all the guys they ever drafted, Mookie just blew them away. That neuro-scouting thing where they test people's brains to see what their potential is, Mookie tested off the charts. At, where does he rank among the best all-around players that you've had a chance to broadcast, uh, what, since 1983 for the Red Sox, Joe? Well, I always thought that Nomar Garcia Parra was the best all-around player. Uh, in my time with the Red Sox, that's including hitting, uh, hitting for average power, defense, and speed. But Mookie's right up there, and maybe even surpassed him in that category. So, and he has the intangibles too. He's such a great teammate. And if you watch Mookie's reaction, he's happier when a teammate hits a three-run homer than when he hits one. Very, very unselfish, and uh, very much into the group thing. And I, I think it's huge. We just had a year of Chili Davis here in Chicago, Joe, and that ended yesterday. 
Um, what what changes did you see this year and what the Red Sox did after Chili Davis was let go as opposed to the year before when the offensive struggles were, were, were more pronounced? Well, I think Chili did a very good job here, and a lot of these young players developed under Chili. I think the uh, emphasis this year, and I don't know how much of a departure, was to be more aggressive, to hit that first fastball and to really attack rather than try to work deep counts. Because you work deep counts, they get the starter out of the game, you get a better pitcher out of the bullpen, and they do the guy that was starting in many cases. Joe, going back to uh, Chris Sale, uh, he had his probably his most proficient year, uh, his best well-rounded year uh, with the White Sox when he pitched uh, more to contact in 2016. Uh, he issued going after the strikeouts, uh, they they kind of worked uh, the philosophy of getting hitters out in the first three pitches. Uh, it seems like um, you know after the 300 strikeout season for him last year that he's he's probably going back to some of that philosophy. Can you talk about the type of pitcher you see right now with Sale, and is he more uh, more of a contact uh, tri- a pitcher right now rather than trying to strike everybody else out? Well, I haven't noticed a significant change. Uh, he was certainly a, on the same pace for strikeouts till he went on the DL. I mean, he, he loves one pitch outs if he can get them. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he doesn't walk people, and uh, sometimes you need the, the strikeout. Of course, strikeouts are so prevalent today. I don't think it's a matter of him changing. I think it's a matter of more better striking out. But uh, his pitch count has never been an issue. I mean, he's... He's around 100 pitches for seven innings, and you can't beat that really in today's baseball. Joe, this is quite a different game than it was, you know, even a decade ago, let alone two or three decades ago. Um, What are your your thoughts on how the bullpenning has changed uh, so dramatically what managers do? I mean, two innings out of a starter last night, and Craig Council actually just calls them outgetters, like my my initial outgetter. He doesn't even call them starting pitchers anymore. Well, we haven't seen that really here yet because we have pretty good traditional starting pitchers. But there might be an occasion to do that, and uh, it makes sense. You have 12 pitchers on a staff. I think we Weaver used to start the season with eight or nine or more days off. Uh, so that's changed dramatically, and the power pitching has changed dramatically with so many pitchers throwing in the upper 90s. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's certainly fun for the game. The strikeouts are not, though. There are too many strikeouts, and Strikeouts, really a non-action, and I think the game has an issue uh, with that, and maybe has a has to find a way to address it. Of course, that's up to the hitters to do. The voice of the Red Sox, Joe Castiglione, joining us and inside the clubhouse, Joe uh, Alex Cora. What impact has he had on this fine team? We know what a great communicator he is. We know that he's an outstanding baseball man, but for a rookie to take over a high-pressured, high-expectation team like the Red Sox and have those results. From the outside looking in, it's pretty impressive. Well, Alex is a guy that when he played here, I thought would be a manager uh, just because of his intelligence, his sense of the game, his ability to communicate and relate to people. He's very, very self-confident, very selfish for it uh, without being cocky, and he's with players extremely well, and I think he has... He knows the pulse of the players, and every move he's made in this postseason has been the right ones. He's 
really had a Midas touch, and a lot of that's because of his baseball acumen. When you when you look at what the Cubs have done with Theo and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod and David Ross was here and John Lester and you know do do, do you and and do you think does Red Sox Nation look approvingly on what the Cubs have done or or is there a part of you that's like uh, wow well, you needed all our guys to do that huh? Well, I think it's great and we pull for them because they're personal friends. Uh, we wish we got John Lester back. That you know he's a nice and uh, he's a big game pitcher. Um, but everybody like a John Lester at the top of their rotation. But I think, you know, there's, there are many parallels with the blueprint. Um, and I think we follow the Cubs very, very closely. And certainly uh, somebody someday we'll soon we'll have a Red Sox-Cubs World Series. That would be interesting. Joe, I uh, appreciate you joining Matt and I. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, we listen all the time uh, here in Chicago on XM and it's a it's a great great broadcast. We enjoy it much. Uh, good luck to you guys down the line. Well, thank you very much. We'll see you next season. Sounds right. good. Thank Joe Constiglione of the Boston Red Sox, the voice of the Red Sox for many years. And Matt, I know that you uh, listened to him quite a bit when you were growing up. And Really a good voice. Just a pup. Just a pup. Me listening to Castiglione and Ken Coleman. I'm Captain Coleman. From the Chicago Wolves Update Studio, uh, this bottom of the hour is uh, brought to you by the Chicago Wolves, who opened their 25th anniversary season on Saturday, October 13th at Allstate Arena with rolled back concession prices and free parking presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Kia dealers. Visit chicagowolves.com for tickets. Lots of texts coming in at 670-11 on some of the issues that we have discussed. Um, I have a Manny Machado thought I want to get to with you as well, Bruce. And we're going to continue to take calls on the hitting coach of the Cubs. Also, the Chris Bryant situation. Who do you believe is he? Was he offered two hundred million dollars or more, or is this uh, somebody else's pipe dream? I know David Kaplan just like you do. His sources are outstanding. Uh, he, I think, David backed away a little bit from saying two hundred million up uh, from the initial report, but his uh, initial report was accurate that they have been talking to Chris Bryant months ago last year, the year before. But then again, they've talked to all their players, uh, the young players, trying to get them signed over the last two or three years. More on that as well. It's 670 The Score inside the clubhouse. Hop on in at 312-644-6767. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse. I would never break the chain, Zach Withers. I would never do it. See, Lindsey Buckingham filed a lawsuit against the the surviving members of Fleetwood Mac who are touring without him this year. Good for him. He's he's 67. He filed a lawsuit against four people who are age 72 or 73. What what is it? Is this age discrimination now? You can't sue when you're 67 years old? At some point, don't we become adult enough to work out our issues with each other when you've been in a band together for 40 years? No, you just said it. They were in a band together. I know. Okay. What's functional about that? I've been in a band with guys for 18 years. Yeah. We mostly get along. Uh-huh, no, not uh-huh. a single lawsuit. You're starting to yet. vacillate here. On not, you. not a single lawsuit yet, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not ready. Once you get to be 65 or so, you're going to start suing those guys. <laughs> I, I guarantee you. You think so? Uh, I'll that, be so the, pissed off at 65. All, all of the, all of those songs that you thought you wrote back. God. 
30 years earlier, they're going to be claiming them. You know, I thought, since we don't write any songs, that, that that we'd be free of all that stuff. You wouldn't have to deal with that stuff. Turns out that's not the main issue. 312-644-6767. If you ever thought about uh, Lindsey Buckingham <laughs> or uh, Fleetwood Mac uh-huh. and uh, your thoughts of the middle 70s, we're here for you. Otherwise, it's all baseball. Oh, yeah, there's Matt that. and I will be uh, talking to you. Uh, text him at 6711. Chris Bryant is a subject matter, Joe Madden, and uh, how he falls in on uh, this latest sacking of the hitting instructor. It's it's interesting. Uh, our teammate, um, Steve Rosenblum, who comes up and will suck so you don't have to after our show ends along with you, uh, wrote a column about how this is uh, directed at Joe Madden, this firing, and that this is... Uh, this is Theo in the front office telling Joe that basically, um, hey, um, this is your, your last warning. What you wanted us to do didn't work. Well, th- that certainly it certainly feels like that's the case. Um, and I'll tell you what, just from the public perspective, you know, some people just look at the firing of a hitting coach and just, you know, um, sh- shorthandedly and I think way too simplistically say, oh, scapegoat. A scapegoat, if I, you can get rid of the scapegoat. But if you just want to think about it that from the perspective of that, there's no more shield in front of Joe Madden as he enters the final year. But he was managing for his for his Cubs career anyway going into this final I, I year. Yes, but I, I don't think that Joe really functions that way. I, I, I think that if he feels he's unwanted here, that they don't have to have a list of seven things so that they can uh, justify moving on from Joe Madden. I think it's... It's more like, dude, if you don't if you don't think my voice is resonating here anymore, mm-hmm. see you later. There's other teams. There's other things I'm going to do. I'm just I'm taking my uh, thirty million dollars with me. I'm taking the the uh, four years in the playoffs and the world championship along with me, and I'll go somewhere else where they want me now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't think Joe's going to sweat it. This I really is, don't. This is Bob in the West Loop on 670 The Score. Bob, you are on Inside the Clubhouse. What you got? Well, well first off, it's nice hearing your voice again, Matt. Thank you, Bob. And, uh, well, I got a question for you about the replacement of Chili. What do you ch- think of a Jim Tomei? Uh, okay, well. Jim Tomei's working at MLB Network. and uh, He for, works for the White Sox. For the White Sox as well. Uh, I think that he will be a manager, and that surprises people because – when you look at Jim Tomei and his career, you say, oh, he was a slugger, he was a hitter. But this is a guy that's extremely bright. This is a guy that knows the game. More importantly, Matt, this is a guy that knows how to communicate. Tremendous communicator. So I believe he will be a manager. Maybe not now. His kids are still a little young. But I would say in the next couple of years... Uh, he would be a candidate for a job. How about the hitting coach in Texas? I, I've, I've read his name now several places. It's pronounced Iaposi. Um, Anthony Iaposi is the guy. Uh, he worked for the Cubs mm-hmm. as a special assistant of the GM with an emphasis on player development for 2013, 14, and 15. Um, that's the job that Will Venable um, did last year before Will Venable was made the first base coach. So, And he's now the hitting coach in Texas. They did not have a very good offensive year, but this is a guy who worked very closely with the front office, and if this is a move that's going to re-implement what they want the hitters to do, a name like that makes some sense to me. Well, he teaches the philosophy, that I know. And they also have very young players in the Texas organization that are improving. They're not quite there yet, but they have some very talented hitters in that organization. 
uh, whether he's uh, let go or not to pursue another job, we'll find out. But um, I think Theo and uh, Jed and the front office are going to want somebody that will be able to teach some of the philosophies that they feel are important. Not not just launch angle, but mm-hmm. uh, some some of the other dynamics that go along with hitting. Uh, John Maley, I think, was the perfect hitting coach for them for three years uh, because of the abject failure that they had in the playoffs in 2017 from hitting and not being able to adjust. I think that they, they turned away from that philosophy because of the fact that uh, they were embarrassed by the fact that their hitters couldn't adjust, that they were striking out at a record pace, uh, that uh, there was uh, not the contact that they wanted. So were they were they the subject of Joe saying, here's what we need, let's go away from it for a while, or was it uh, is it something they, they continue to want to incorporate themselves within the idea that you can have a all-field approach and a launch angle approach as well. Some of the other names that have floated around here, uh, I mentioned Andy Haynes is the assistant right there uh, in the system already. Um, Dave Magadan, who used to work for the Red Sox right. and Epstein and Hoyer for years and just just finished a run there with the Diamondbacks. And then David Ross keeps coming up. That doesn't make any sense to me as a hitting coach. You don't have to be a great hitter to be a good hitting coach. No, but from his perspective, I think he's going to get a manager job somewhere if he wants it. How many of these hitting coaches, these gurus, Mm -hmm. over the last 30 years were great hitters? Yeah, no, not many. Or even played in the major leagues. But from his perspective, if you're going to come back and and be with a team on an everyday basis, I think think he would want to be a manager. And I think that some team is going to give him a chance to do that. Well, I mean, he's got some some great jobs right now. I don't know if he'd want to do this. I think he, he's he's going to want to manage, and I think that if and when Joe does leave, I mm-hmm. think that David Ross's name will be high up there on the list. I agree. This is Drexel in uh, University Park. Uh, very quickly here on the score before we take a break. What's up, Drexel? Yes. Uh, no, I was trying. You know, uh, I was thinking about Chris Bryant should be traded after he uh, showed uh, better performance next year because for for a couple of uh, pitchers. Um, you know, good starting pitcher, or maybe one pitcher. If Chris Bryant gives you better performance next year, i.e., back to MVP caliber, you're not trading Chris Bryant. Well, <laughs> I mean, you're not. Uh, gonna... I'll give you a scenario, uh, Drexel um, and Matt, where it would work. And that would be as if you uh, brought in uh, this offseason a Manny Machado or a um, <clears throat> Bryce Harper. If you bring in another superstar with a uh, slug. Mm-hmm. Down the line, Chris Bryant could be traded. I know it sounds like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? Why would you trade uh, a guy that's a five-tool player that has been iconic with this organization for three years? But uh, in reality, if you don't think you're going to be able to sign him down the road, you have other superstars to replace him, you can trade Chris Bryant. If if you're giving... Bryce Harper, the three hundred million, That's or right. Manny Machado, the two fifty, or the three hundred right. million. How many three hundred millions are you going to give out? Oh, you are the Cubs, and you're going to print your own money. Um, theoretically, when the TV deal gets added into everything else you've done around the ballpark, well, you're so going to have more to, than one. You're going to have to start throwing some money, or some young guys are going to have to start coming around 
to replace some of your veteran pitchers, too. It's six, you got a two-year window on your pitching. It's 6-7 in the score. One more hour of Inside the Clubhouse is next, including a check-in in Milwaukee where the Brewers might never lose again. Keep it here on the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.